read this morning's scripture, Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 1. The writer says here, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. And Father, we ask as always that you'd help us to continue now in our worship as we continue to make our heart open and, and our ear receptive to what you would say to us by the voice of your spirit through the word of God. So Lord, we want to worship you now through our attention to your word. Please speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Prepare our hearts even as we partake of communion afterwards to remember your son Jesus we ask now, Lord, by your spirit, speak to us through what you've spoken already in the word of God. And we ask this expectantly in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> you know, for those who have the courage, and I emphasize that because I certainly don't, to run a 26.2-mile marathon, or even beyond that, I actually looked out of curiosity what is referred to as an ultra-marathon that do take place on our globe at different places, which actually end up runs that are over 100 miles long. Those who do such things have to be willing to commit to a long-term process. That is not just one quick sprint and then the whole suffering is over. It is a long and arduous, extended, difficult journey till the finish. And over that long journey, indeed, there are going to be multiple times that people are going to, in running such things, want to perhaps give up or quit as the elements of nature, as well as just personal human weakness are working against them. At different times, no doubt, during those long races, amidst the race, the end appears like it's just so far off. And then the wrestling and the humanity comes, the constant resistance within their own body, fighting against their own success. And there are going to be times in running such races when they feel weary or struggle with doubt or discouragement mentally if they actually can finish and even are going to at times, no doubt, because they're human, want to quit no matter how much training and preparation they've done. And that's where mental focus becomes crucial to keep taking one step at a time until you finally cross the finish line. And the same thing, honestly, becomes true of the spiritual life as a follower of Jesus Christ. God's word pictures the spiritual life in many ways, but one of the ways it pictures the spiritual life, like here in our text, is like running a race. And not like running a sprint, but running a marathon from the day of our salvation when we accept Jesus Christ all the way through the journey, whatever it may be, until the day we cross the finish line and enter into heaven. And we're running in a world that's plagued by sin's influence, like wind and rain beating against us and how miserable it would be or the hot desert sun running through 
you know, mile after mile on these long journeys. And then there's the inward struggles we have with sin as well and our own human weakness. And all these things are working against us. And we're striving within to keep putting one foot in front of the other. But at times we can become weary. We can become discouraged in our walk with the Lord, trying to run a race. And it's important that we stay focused spiritually and find the grace and the endurance to not only finish, but to finish well and to run all the way until that finish line. And that's what we see expressed in our text today, using this analogy of running our race for Christ, as the writer of Hebrews describes here in chapter 12. Again, just a backdrop to where chapter 12 picks up to help prevent believers from becoming weary and to encourage them to remain faithful to the Lord. Hebrews chapter 11, a very popular chapter in the Bible, is often referred to as a hall of faith. And it's this chapter that gives this record of weak individuals, weak human beings, yet walking and having victory by the power of God and by God's power overcoming odds. And it's a testimony to encourage believers to exercise faith, to put forth endurance, to overcome in God's purposes. And it's almost as if in chapter 11, he calls many witnesses to the stand using their lives as a testimony to show how others before them exercised faith and ran their race all the way through to the finish line. And now it seems as he comes to chapter 12, he now exhorts the present day believer, those he's writing to, and you and I as well this morning with our Bible opened in front of us, to implement that same faith and endurance That though we are weak people as well, though we're imperfect people who struggle with sin and and wrestle with this and struggle with that, that by the power of God and faith and endurance that we would be able to finish our race all the way to the end. So with that backdrop, he says, notice with me there in verse 1 of chapter 12, therefore, reflecting back, in other words, in light of what's just been shared, therefore we also... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, he says, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So he makes now the application to the prior section, Hebrews chapter 11, of this idea of achieving victory through faith. And by faith in the power of God and what God supplies that we can walk victoriously. In light of the previous heroes of faith, he now says here in our section, in light of all that we've seen of the saints of old, therefore, he says, we also. And notice there, he says, we also. In other words, the writer is including himself. The writer himself is saying, look, I'm on the team just like everyone else. And we also wrestle with the same things, just like those who ran before us. He's saying we now have a responsibility as well to run our lap of the race, to run our leg of the race, if you would. In the same way others have finished the course before us, now it's our turn to carry the baton in our generation, to preserve the gospel, to continue to honor Jesus, and to do what we can to be faithful stewards as we run the Christian race in our generation. 
And we run our lap, if you would, our leg to live up to the examples of those who've gone before us. In light of their great example as servants of the Lord, we should be inspired by their testimony, which he described in chapter 11, to be willing to do the same. That's what he means when he says there in verse 1, since we also are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. He pictures there, no doubt, the lives of these departed saints of old who ran their race well and have crossed the finish line and entered into the glory of heaven. The example of their lives, he pictures them kind of like they're there standing in the crowd, in the stadium, cheering us on, encouraging us, knowing what it's like to run the race because they've done it as well. And they're now cheering us on to run and to finish well, and that we would recognize that it can be done because there are people as a great cloud of witnesses who are there as a living testimony of the fact that it is possible by the power of God. Because Abraham did it, and Isaac did it, and Jacob did it, and Daniel did it, and Sarah did it, and because of that, we can say it is possible. These were just human beings too. And they had their challenges and their hardships and their struggles. And and the real life stories of chapter 11 are intended to encourage us to endure and not give up. To remain committed to walking with Jesus and being a part of their spiritual company. It not only takes away some of the excuses that we may be prone to kind of fall into from time to time in the weakness of our own humanity. But it also should excite us to want to live up to their examples to be compelled to want to emulate the saints of old and to be those in this generation who would leave our mark and being surrounded by these witnesses, I think to some degree causes a sense of spiritual responsibility in our own life as well. You know, the way I can illustrate that, uh, probably a foolish illustration, but comes to my mind is uh, for me anyway, you know how it is when your neighbor mows their lawn. And then when your neighbor mows their lawn, there's just kind of this awkward sense of natural pressure and duty. Ah, I probably should know my my lawn now because now mine looks really long because they had to go and mow theirs, right? And and, and there's this kind of this sense of because someone nearby you does it, there's kind of this sense of, all right, yeah, I guess I should too. And I think spiritually, it's a wonderful thing when having good and healthy examples, the lives of people, whether it's the saints of old. And it's why I love reading Christian biographies, honestly, more than I do Christian books about power principles of how to do whatever that never work for me half the time. Because when I read these testimonies of saints of old, that inspires me to say, wow, that's just a human being. And by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, and it it inspires us to realize it can be done and it bears witness and it kind of takes away the struggles of our humanity and the excuses that we want to give. And it inspires us. I can do this. I can carry on. Look what they went through and they carried on or look what they accomplished by the power of the spirit. And in the same way, it's important. I think this is why the writer says, look, we've been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now it's our turn. And see, I think this is important because it's crucial for us to always realize once in a while that we are not the first generation of Christians who face challenges and issues and personal hardships and struggles and governmental frustrations and battles with sin. There are many before us who've done this thing, who've walked with Jesus 
who've ran their race in different generations. Many of them, he says, because of this, testify to us that it is possible and we should be encouraged that we have the same potential by the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God to help us to be available to us as the saints of old. And we should be inspired in hope and make it our determination, listen, that we would now leave our mark for the next generation. That we would one day join the cloud of witnesses and be a testimony that inspires those who will be running their lap behind us. And so he gives this exhortation of things that we ought to do to run our race effectively. Notice as he goes on in verse 1, he says here, to run our race effectively, he says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race that's set before us. Notice he illustrates the life of a follower of Christ as a race, he says there, that's set before us personally that is to be run, that is to be run all the way until we cross the finish line and then the reward is received. And we see this metaphor at different times in the Bible. It was certainly familiar to the people of that day because of the Greek games. And it's used multiple times of running a race. Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 says, we are all running in a race. And he says this, run like you're intending to win. In other words, if you're going to run in a race, you might as well at least run like you're intending to win. You don't just run in a race to just kind of just jog along. He says, no, run with intention. Right. As a marathon begins, there are some who run and there are others who are running to win the thing. They're actually trying to win it. And that's how we want to run. We don't want to run and then see some flowers over there. And, oh, look at these. And just just that's pretty nice. And, hey, could you give me a Coke while I'm here? And and then jump back into the No, you run with focused intention. If I'm going to run, I'm going to try and win. I'm going to try and do the best I can and perform as good as possible to be faithful to have as much experience in the process. Second Timothy four, Paul says it this way before his death, Paul said, I finished the race and there is a crown laid up before me. Notice Paul said, I finished the race. Lots of people start projects. Lots of people don't finish projects. Lots of people start races. And even I would venture to say, can't be certain, but I imagine there's lots who start marathons and probably don't finish them. And there are those who start lots of things. And sadly, there are those who start walking with the Lord. And then for some reason, they just kind of, they don't finish or they don't finish well and things pull them down. And again, when we think about this idea of running a race, the starting point of our Christian race begins at the moment of our salvation. When we first meet Jesus, and even it's a great honor to qualify for an Olympic race, what an honor to run a race for Jesus Christ. What an incredible privilege it is to be able to run for Jesus. And the race itself, then, is the process of just walking with the Lord day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, as the Spirit's changing us into the image of Jesus, helping us to overcome sin, helping us to develop in our Christian walk and how to walk in the Spirit. And then, of course, the finish of the race is crossing the barrier of this temporal world and entering into the eternal dimension to be in the Lord's presence in heaven, to receive our victor's crown and our reward. And as running in any race, whether a natural race or a spiritual race, there are going to be, the Bible says here, potential hindrances. Things that are going to kind of interfere that a runner has to be careful of, lest those hindrances cause the runner to stumble 
were to not be able to succeed to the degree they could because they are held back. He says, first of all, here in verse one, one thing that's necessary is we have to lay aside every weight to lay aside every weight. A weight is anything that would hold back or slow down the runner. And in the Greek games, when they would train for competition, runners would train with weights as they prepared. But then when it came time to compete, they not only shed the weights, but they stripped down and ran almost bare with hardly even any clothing because they did not want anything to encumber them. Even the smallest thing they were concerned could be a hindrance or slow them down. They wanted to be as light as possible so they could move fast without any hindrances. And the same principle applies to running our race in the spiritual life. When you first choose to enter into the Christian race and follow Jesus Christ, I don't know what it's like for you, but I can tell you for me, I needed to lay a few things aside. When I chose to enter the race and run with Christ and follow Christ, there were a few things right at the start I needed to lay aside. That's not going to work if I'm going to follow Jesus. And you have to lay some things aside. And then you find as you're running your race all the way through your walk with the Lord as you're running your race in order to continue in spiritual life, you got to keep doing the same from time to time. You got to periodically realize this is kind of like something starting to weigh me down now. It's holding me back in my spiritual life. It's something that's kind of interfering. And we need to be willing to remove those things if they were to hinder us and to lay aside those weights. And notice here he's talking about, first of all, laying aside weights. They're not necessarily sinful things. He's going to say in the next verse or the next statement, the sins which ensnare us. But the first thing he says before we lay aside sins which trip us up, he says, is laying aside just weights. That is, things that are not bad in and of themselves. They're just things that perhaps maybe freedoms that we have as believers in grace that we can do certain things. It could be anything. It could become a, a hobby or some indulgence and in entertainment or maybe just some activity that we love or we're involved in. Maybe it could be something like a career pursuit or a, a lifestyle or media or some indulgence that we enjoy that's a freedom. And there are all these different things that we have freedom in Christ to indulge in or to participate in or be involved in, but yet then sometimes those things, they can then start to become weights in our lives and they can actually start to impede our spiritual progress or hold us back or even hinder us in some way. And if that ever happens and we see something as slowing us down from moving forward spiritually rather than assisting us and encouraging us to keep moving forward spiritually, if that's happening, we need to realize ultimately that could be something that's going to hinder my spiritual success or my spiritual fruitfulness or hold me back from God's best or maybe even pursuing God's plan. You know, there are people who've been called by Jesus to serve the Lord, but career has kept them out of their calling. There are people who have been called to experience certain things in this life and sadly just some temporal worldly thing has impeded them and held them back from experiencing maybe all they could have experienced because it was just something that kind of weighed them down and hindered them. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, all things are lawful for me. The idea is permissible, yet not all things are helpful. All things are permissible for me, but I won't be brought under the power of anything. So he says, we have a lot of freedom in Christ, walking in grace. And he says, but yet everything we have the freedom to do actually may not be helpful for us. And so sometimes we have to evaluate that as a Christian. 
Sometimes we have to take inventory. Is there anything weighing you down in your spiritual life, hindering your progress? It may indeed be a liberty that you do have freedom to enjoy. It may not be wrong in and of itself, and therefore we justify it's okay, but perhaps you may need to consider from time to time if God's calling you to lay aside that freedom or that permissible thing because it's weighing you down or holding you back spiritually. And it's important to be sensitive to that so that you can run effectively. He also, of course, says an obvious thing is we also need to secondarily lay aside the sin which so easily ensnares us. And certainly for all of us, we can tend to be prone to wrestle with certain areas of sin personally, areas that maybe he says that easily ensnare us. And all of us kind of have those areas where like they're the Achilles heel of our fleshly sin nature, these areas that we just tend to fall prey to a little bit more repeatedly. Just certain areas that tend to snag and trip us up a little bit more of our sinful nature, and they become a real snare and hindrance to our spiritual walk. And they can constantly stumble us in our lives. And in order to make spiritual progress, the writer says we can't leave those things undealt with. We have to be careful of kind of that subtle justification or excuses we make. Well, I mean, well, I mean, everybody struggles. And you're not going to be sinlessly perfect until you enter heaven. So therefore, I mean, this is kind of my little, this is my little pet struggle. And sometimes we can begin to make these justifications rather than being open to the fact that there is this biblical thing called repentance, which means we can lay something aside and stop doing it. And I think it's important that we have to genuinely be open that there are times we need to rid ourselves and rid our lives of those particular sins that just tend to really snare us and tend to be the thing that can draw us down and trip us up. This morning I would ask, what comes to your mind as you think of those types of sins that tend to easily ensnare you? And you have to be willing personally to do whatever it takes to lay it aside, maybe to be set free from its control. You may even need to get radical to do something very radical to say, you know what? I am not going to let this stop me from running my race. And I want to finish well. I want to run to the finish line. And if I keep playing with this area of sin and making excuses for it, it may be the thing that makes me ultimately not finish very well. And no one wants to experience that. So there are times the time that we have to say, Lord, you don't want me to be ensnared. You want me to live freed up. And so therefore, Lord, maybe I got to lay aside. I need to truly rid this from my life. You know, the New Testament says this to us repeatedly. Let me read you a few examples of that. Ephesians 4.22 says, we must put off concerning your former conduct, your old man. The idea is like shedding clothing, like the runner would. Sometimes that former way of life before you came to Christ, you got to put off. That's your old life. That's not you now. And sometimes we've got to put off those old ways. Romans 13 said, let us cast off the works of darkness and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its desires. You see what the Bible says? Don't make provisions for the flesh. The idea is don't make opportunities to capitalize on your sinful nature. You know, sometimes we act surprised that we indulge sin when the reality is, as God said, you prepared for the process to happen. Oh, I don't know why I keep drinking beer. I don't know why I keep drinking beer. Because you keep putting it in your fridge. And you're human. And if that's your inclination, you put it in the fridge, you made a provision, you're going to partake of the provision. 
right? I mean, and we can apply that to any area of life. Oh, I don't know why this, I don't know. When you and I make provisions for the flesh, typically because we're carnal, we're gonna set ourselves up for failure. And so the Bible says, don't even make opportunity. Do everything you can to eliminate the opportunity because here's the key, folks. I've, no, I've found this in my life. It is much, much easier to just avoid sin than to resist temptation. Just avoid sin altogether. That's much easier than resisting temptation because you put it in front of yourself because typically a lot of times that can end up being then a regretful losing battle. Colossians 3 says, you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. First Thessalonians 4, he says, abstain from sexual immorality, abstain from sexual sin. First Peter 4, he says, we've spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness. Now follow this, it's in the Bible. Lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Again, the word of God says, that was your past. The lewdness, the lust, the reveling, the, the drinking parties. The drunkenness, that was who you were. But don't do that stuff now. You say, that's going to hold you back. You got to lay that stuff aside. That stuff that's just going to hinder your life. The Bible says, abstain from the fleshly lusts that war against the soul. And here he says, if there are sins that can tend to easily ensnare us, sometimes we have to make that conscious choice, like the runner who says, you know what, just like a weight, I don't want anything to ensnare me and trip me up because if I fall, I'm not going to be able to finish. I'm going to find myself in regret and injured and held back. So sometimes we have to be willing to genuinely rid our lives. Lord, this sin has got to go. I got to get rid of this. I need to repent of this and find victory through the power of Christ. And also we have to exercise perseverance to stay in the race, to finish well. Look what he says at the end of verse one. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us the word endurance speaks of ability to in, endure unpleasant and difficult situations but yet not give up and keep going forward the greek there literally is a term that means to bear up under heavy weight to bear up under pressure and yet not be crushed but keep going forward that's the idea there it, it means you are under something incredibly heavy but you don't let it crush you like the endurance of an athlete you keep pushing through the pain. You keep going forward despite the, the struggle and the hardship and the stress. And it doesn't mean it's not hard. But because you see the higher calling like the athlete wanting to succeed, though you may feel tired or wearied or it's a struggle to keep going, you push forth in endurance because you realize that the Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a long distance run. Christianity is is about a long obedience in the same direction. And there are lots of hurdles and walls and obstacles and even people who will try and trip you <laughs> along the way. But you gotta keep running the race. We have to keep staying, persevering, being faithful, recognizing, hey, I, I've got to press on exercising strength over an extended period staying strong to the finish line and the committed follower of Jesus must exercise, the Bible says, endurance because it's not always going to be easy to serve Jesus. It's not always going to be easy to keep walking with the Lord and doing what's right when maybe others aren't. Sometimes there are going to be hard temptations. 
Sometimes we're going to find ourselves facing severe pressure to do what's wrong, and it's hard to resist. There are going to be times in our life, we all know, where we're going to endure personal hardships or pain or difficult experiences are going to come crashing into our world, and it's going to make it hard to keep honoring the Lord when we're under the heavy weight of some personal struggle. But yet Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, I finished the race through endurance, pressing forward, exercising endurance. Folks, there is a race that's set before us, and it's important that you run your own leg of the race and run it with endurance. And I'll tell you something. There is something to be said for those who are willing to just keep honoring Jesus when it's not easy to keep honoring Jesus and keep worshiping when everything in their being is struggling with lifting their eyes towards Jesus and worshiping and keep walking with the Lord when they're going through things that are making them want to drown. There's, those are the heroes, not people who pack out stadiums or charge you $100 to come to their conferences. Those are heroes, heroes of the faith those who keep running their leg of the race with endurance. And we may say, well, where does that endurance come from? Well, he tells us in verse two, it comes really just from spiritual focus. Look what he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. One of the keys to a runner staying on track and not being slowed down, honestly, simply, is just keeping his eyes straight ahead, not looking to the left, not looking to the right, not looking behind him, because if a runner does that, it not only can slow them down, it can cause them to stumble, and that would not be good. And so he says here, using this analogy, that as runners in our race spiritually, we have to keep our eyes, look what he says there, looking unto Jesus, looking forward to Jesus, what's in front of us, not looking around us, not looking behind us, Oh, my past, not looking behind us, not looking within ourselves. Oh, I'm still this or, oh, I'm that and being, but keeping our eye on the Lord, remembering we are following Jesus, no one else. We are keeping our focus on him. He's the one to lead and guide us. He's the one who can show us the way. And look, gang, he's the one who already ran the race. And he endured lots of hard, hardships and lots of hurdles and lots of difficulties. And he crossed the finish line. That's what verse 2 is about. He already ran the race for us in his own humanity. And therefore, he is the one who is ahead of us. And it's almost as if Jesus is now cheering us on, calling us forward, telling us, you can finish. You can do it. You can finish the race. And if you and I want to run our race well, we got to get our eyes fixed on Jesus and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. He refers to Jesus here in verse two, notice as the author and finisher of our faith. That is, he's the author, he's the source and the origin of our salvation. Jesus brought salvation to pass. That word author is the same Greek word used in Hebrews chapter two, verse 10, where it's there translated the captain of our salvation. I like that. We're running a race. Jesus is the captain of the team. And what's the captain's job to inspire everybody else on the team? I know it's tough, but we can do this. We can do this. Come on, dig deep. We can do this. And how wonderful that Jesus, who already ran the race, who's the author of our salvation, 
is there as the captain of our salvation, calling us onward to glory. Jesus, he says, also is the finisher of our faith. That is, he completes the salvation process by working in us, despite our human weakness. Philippians 1 says that we can be confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He began the good work in you spiritually. He'll finish the good work and to inspire us and encourage us. He speaks of Jesus' own painful death and his powerful victory and even what motivated him to run his leg of the race. Look what he says. Who for the joy that was set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross, despising the shame, and has now sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus' painful death, he endured the cross, and he says here, despising the shame of it. Again, death upon a cross was excruciatingly painful. It was excruciating, painful capital punishment. And not only that, death on a cross was reserved for the most vile of criminals. It was an absolute disgrace to die by crucifixion publicly. It was the most shameful way to be publicly humiliated as you suffered and died brutally. Yet Jesus, in his love for you and I, willingly endured that pain and that shame to suffer in our place to take the punishment that we deserve for our own sinful actions. And as the sinless son of God, he was disgraced and suffered painfully and died brutally for our sins and endured that so that he could make a way for us to be set free from punishment to have access to heaven and forgiveness. And that, of course, led, secondly, to his powerful display of victory afterward. He says, now Jesus, verse 2, is sitting down at the right hand of God. Jesus arose again from the realm of the dead, the Bible tells us, defeating the power of sin, which ultimately is death. And as a victor over sin and death, Jesus then ascended back into heaven from where he originally came and has taken his seat once again, his victor seat there at the throne of God. Romans 8 and Hebrews 7 tells Jesus now sits at the right hand of the throne of God with his father. And there he is sitting at the throne, making intercession for weak and sinful people like you and I, confidently seated because he's certain what he's going to finish and do in your life as a Christian. Jesus isn't pacing around heaven going, oh, Father, Tony, I just don't know. Oh, man, he is not going to make it. He's not doing that. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God because he is so confident in his finished work in what he's accomplished and what he's doing in our lives that he knows I'm holding your reservation. Your seat is assured and I'm going to do what I got to do to get you across the finish line and to send help as it's needed from the throne of God there for us. And what was motivating Jesus? It says right there, it was the joy that was set before him. What was the joy that was motivating Jesus? The joy to be able to forgive your sin. The joy to be able to remove guilt from your conscience. The joy to be able to help you and I be released from the power of sin, controlling our life and dominating us in different ways. It was the joy for you and I to know that we could be set free one day from all the struggle and the pain and the hardship and the death experiences and all the things that we despise on this earth. And one day, the joy to know I'm going to get you out of there and you're going to enter into glory and it's all going to end well. 
And it was that joy that motivated Jesus to do all that he did on our behalf. Hey, this morning, let me ask a question. Genuinely, where is your focus this morning? What, what are you focused on? What are you fixated on? Is it this or that or even your own self? The word of God says compassionately to us, if we're going to make it in this race, we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. Can't keep looking at this or looking back at that. Oh, my past. We're even looking within. We're even looking fearfully. Oh, I don't know how. I don't know. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus anticipating Jesus, adoring Jesus, admiring Jesus. That's what makes all the difference to regain strength. Look with me in verse three as he concludes. He says what? For consider him, Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Why? Verse three, lest you become weary and discouraged in your own souls. See, this is why it's important to keep looking to Jesus. Because the truth of the matter is just like any runner, even those who prepare really well, they're going to get weary in the process of the long marathon. They may get discouraged from time to time. Oh, I'm not doing as good as I thought, or I just don't know if I'm going to make it. And weariness and discourage comes upon the runner and makes them maybe kind of hit the wall from time to time. They're tempted to want to drop out or quit, but that's why the runner needs to, in that moment, kind of dig deeper, think beyond himself. And sometimes when the runner does it, that's when that second wind comes back. We talk about a second wind. And the same is true spiritually. We can get weary and discouraged in our souls, right? Galatians 6 says to us all, let us, that's everyone, not grow weary in well-doing. But what do we do when we grow weary and discouraged? The Bible says that's when we need to take time to just consider Jesus, to consider Jesus. That is to think about Jesus. And how does that work? That works in a way whereby as we're becoming weary and discouraged, as we consider Jesus, we think about what Jesus did what Jesus experienced in his humanity, that he went through tremendous pain. He went through great hardship, disappointment, letdown, betrayal, pain and suffering, hardship. Jesus did not endure an easy earthly life as a human. And as we realize that, we consider it in comparison to our own struggles and the fellowship of the sufferings. And we say, okay, Lord, you endured it and you were God and you didn't do anything wrong. You are God and you endured this and you endured that and you remain faithful. And as we consider that and we consider Jesus, somehow we're renewed and strengthened inwardly and we regain a spiritual second wind. And we're strengthened within by the power of the spirit in the inward man. And look, perhaps this morning you're feeling wearied or discouraged in your soul. Can I encourage you the way to recover a second wind spiritually, the way to keep going is perhaps to just get your focus on Jesus, to consider Jesus and let that be what strengthens you inwardly.